Are you ready to go the distance? When you're nearing retirement, it's essential that you have a written plan and know exactly how the plan will work. Life's about choosing where you want to go and mapping out a financial plan to get you there. The one thing you need is a plan. So what's the plan? Plan! Right now, plan! An experienced financial advisor can help you avoid potential hazards and find alternative routes. We pride ourselves in being different from other financial planning firms. During your initial consultation, we will get to know you and give you the chance to get to know us. Our friendly staff will make you feel comfortable the moment you walk in the door. Call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651, 712-224-4651, or log on to EFS4U.com, EFS, the number 4U.com. The recent bank failure, along with wild swings in the market and rising interest rates of many retirees running for the hills. Come on back down. That's what I say. Today we're going to talk about what you can do and try to cut through some of that noise and calm some of the fears you might have. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money, with your host, Mark Gilles. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is Mark on Money with Mark Giels. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall, and Mark's been helping folks for more than 30 years. You'll find him at EFS Wealth Management. That's EFS, the number U, the letter 4.com. That's the website, EFS4U.com. And uh, still, lots going on, Mark. I mean, we had a great conversation last week about, you know, the sort of beginning of the banking thing. And, and so let's, let's dig in a little deeper this time and see, see how it might affect folks like me and you. Well, what happened? You know, let's let's you know look in the review mirror a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, not too far. I guess we just turn around and look. We don't have to look too far back. But you know, SVB Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, um, had more liabilities than they did assets for a number of reasons, um, mainly because people panicked and started withdrawing their money in an effort to protect their cash, and this created a bank run. You know, that's what panics do. Um, in conjunction with the lack of diversification, the bank had to sell more assets and created further losses, basically creating issues, you know, that were, you know, self-created or, or you know, depositor-created. Um, and that's what happened. Um, and it can happen, you know, in lots of different panics, you know, those types of things, um, you know, happen. You know, they've sure. happened many times in the past. Uh, we've seen it, um, you know. During market crashes, market turbulence, you know, there's, there's, you know, the human emotional factor that gets into what, into, you know, the mix instead of, you know, rational reactions or thought, you know, well, shoot first, ask questions later, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, again, this is the kind of thing that Hollywood makes movies about, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So you've got a clip for us. I do. Play, right? A movie that everybody's familiar with. It's uh, it's a wonderful life. Here's the scene. I was just talking to old man Potter, and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's going to reopen next week. But, George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're, you're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. <laughs> the money's not here? That's it, right? I mean, that's what happened. Right. I mean, banks, you know, banks don't have cash. Everybody went in, you know, to draw money out. Um, they have... Um, what, what did I read? That the total cash in the U.S. banking system is 0.1% of all deposits. Oh, man. They're... So there's not a whole lot of cash floating around. I mean, we're pretty much a cashless society, right? That's, so if you actually pretty want much. to draw cash out, there's there's not a lot of cash to draw out. I guess they could just give you an IOU and on a piece of paper because that's basically what it is. Um, but let's look at how did we get here. You know, one of the things... To note here is that the Federal Reserve, you know, the Department of Treasury and FDIC have come together to establish um, an emergency-style banking solution that um, hopefully will calm the nerves of Americans making statements that their funds would be accessible even if they had deposits over the FDIC insurance limits. Uh, now, some people have continued to panic um, and take money out of, you know, whatever bank they think is going to be the next one in line that people are going to go to. It's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a mob. You know, they're going from, you know, one place to the next, and, okay, well, what's the next place we're going to go and, and, and uh, show up at their door? Um, but I think things are calming down. Uh, we'll see today. You know, the Federal Reserve Board meets today and tomorrow and then makes a decision on interest rates. And, of course, you know, the consensus is all over the board. I mean, Elon Musk came out this morning and said, hey, the Federal Reserve should cut interest rates by half a percent. You know, Goldman Sachs says, you know, the bank should not raise interest rates at all. And then the consensus is, is that 71 percent of people think that, you know, the experts, you know, with quotations around the word expert, think that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates by a quarter percent today and then maybe tone down the rhetoric a little bit and say, you know, we're going to kind of wait and see what's going to happen. Um, one thing is for certain, I don't think anybody knows exactly what is going to happen, and that's the purpose of planning, um, and that's what this show is about. Well, how do you plan for the certainty of uncertainty, right? We've talked about that right. before, and this is a perfect example of, you know, how do you do that? Um, well, the the correct answer would be if, you know, you came to me and said, well, Mark, did did we plan for this, you know, banking thing? Did we plan for... Um, you know, the pandemic? Did we plan for, you know, interest rates to be, you know, gone up? And if the answer is we had a we had a plan A, we had a plan B, we had a plan C, and yes, one of those plans that we looked at takes into account the potential for this black swan event that has happened. And I think it doesn't take a lot of effort really to plan for the certainty of uncertainty. But you have to know what those uncertain things are that you need to plan for. And I think some of the things are that you have to be reminded about is what I want to kind of bring up. I mean, you, maybe we need to talk about the banking issue a little bit more. I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, I think we have. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, that things are going to settle down. I think that the... Federal Reserve and the um, FDIC has has 
you know, learn from their past. They're not going to let this thing turn into some major panic thing. And I think that really, I think, has assuaged some of the fears that people have out there is that, you know, look, we've gone through this in 2008, 2009. They know how to, um, you know, take care of things. For example, you look at the takeover of Credit Suisse uh, over the weekend. You know, in 2008, they had the opportunity to take over Lehman Brothers, but they failed. And the, you know, the counterparty effects of that is what really caused the um, financial crisis, which was a fire, to have gas poured on it when Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy and markets um, cascaded downward. Sure. And so I think they know that there's some things that they need to do um, to avoid having, you know, the crisis, you know, or the fears get out of control. Well, it's one and, of the things that they did, you know, when the, because the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, insures accounts for $250,000. Now, most of those folks had way more than two hundred and fifty going in and out of that bank. And so the administration agreed to bail everybody out for their full amount. Where, where do you fall on that? I mean, I, there's there's varying opinions, uh, but it seems that what they did was to, again, like you just said, try to calm the fears. Well, it was a systemic risk. You know, it affected thousands of not, not just depositors. You're talking businesses because most depositors that have the over $250,000 amounts are businesses. Sure, of course. Um, you know, because you can't meet payroll. If you have a, if you have a business of more than probably, you know, 20 people, you know, your payroll is probably a half a million dollars every couple of weeks. And so you've got to have millions of dollars setting in your account just to basically meet operating expenses, payroll, you know, all kinds of other inventory issues and so forth and so on. So you, you can't have payroll being paid, you know, from, you know, 20 different banks. It right. just, doesn't, just doesn't work. Right. And so, you know, the systemic definition is what FDIC used, you know, that this was not just a localized issue, but was going to affect many, many, many different businesses and peoples and um, have an adverse effect on the economy. And they said th they will look at that, you know, in future uh, instances where this would occur. And I think they'll use that definition. And I think that's what people are looking at is, hey, no matter what the bank is, you know, unless it's, you know, the uh, local credit union that's got $20 million in, in account value and, and, you know, 98% of them are under the $250,000 limit. That's that's not really a systemic issue. But in this case, you know, the majority of deposits were above that issue, and they were in the hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. Yeah. So, but, you know, let's move on from that. Yeah, Because sure. I want to get to, you know, what what really is the certainty of uncertainty, or what are those uncertain things that people in retirement or getting into or coming up to that, that mark in you know, your journey need to be planning for. Um, one of them is obviously not planning for retirement, obviously. <laughs> obviously. And, and again, that becomes, we talk about it every week, Mark, just how important that plan is. And just because you've got a couple of accounts doesn't mean you have a plan. You've, you've just got accounts. Right. And But the one I hear all the time is this one. And it's something that I understand because, you know, maybe... You've had friends that died early, you know, your cohorts died, you know, that you worked with, you know, after just after they retired. And, you know, one of the things is underestimating your life expectancy. And I hear this all the time. Well, you know, my dad lived to be 68 and so and so 
retire and then die the next year. Um, and that's not a problem, you know, in retirement if you don't live a long time. But one of the uncertainties is what happens if you live a long time? And so underestimating life expectancy is one of the uncertain planning aspects of retirement. And it's also important to note that, you know, life expectancy is longer than most people realize. You know, if you look at the average life expectancy in the U.S., well, it's 79 years old. But if you make it to age 65, you can expect to live another 20 years because that means that average life expectancy for a 65-year-old isn't 79, it's 85. Right, right. And, And so people... For whatever reason, they hear that life expectancy's late 70s, you know, and they're 65. They don't hear that, you know, life expectancy is 85 for a 65-year-old. And, you know, we, we have a tool that we run, which is really kind of interesting. It's, uh, we use a software program called Money Guide Pro. And Money Guide Pro is a financial planning software. It runs various scenarios to illustrate what the percentage likelihood is of financial success of drawing income out at, at a you know given amount based upon the amount of money that you have in your investments and what the likelihood of you being alive at different points and so it actually calculates out life expectancy it shows you in a percentage wise you know and it shows each individual and then the likelihood of a couple one of the two of you being alive yet at a certain future date. And just an individual, for instance, you know, has a 20-year expectation at 65 that they'll be alive at age 85, but a couple together has an expected life expectancy of about 87 or 88. So it's about, you know, a few years longer if you are a couple. And then I've read studies that say that you know if you're wealthy and you know not in people have different opinions of wealth i'm talking about you have money you can take care of yourself you eat right you healthy you even go on vacation you go to the dentist you you know do those things to keep healthy um and your life expectancy is another 2 to 3 years longer because you have money um and of course we're talking about one of the biggest fears of people in retirement that do have money of running out. Exactly. So, so I'm talking directly to you is that if you have money, your life expectancy is a couple years longer than the average person. If you're married, your life expectancy is a couple years longer than the uh, average person. Uh, and now you add those things together. Now the average for a 65 year old gets pushed into the late eighties, nineties. Um, and, yeah, that's an uncertainty. You know, if you're retiring at 60, you're looking at a 30-year period of time of where you will not get a paycheck, and you've got to create some type of strategy to be able to generate income over that period of time. So how long do you run a plan? If someone comes in, they're working with you, and, and you know, you say, all right, let's talk longevity. So when you come back with the plan, is it is it to 85? Is it to 105? What, where do you run it to? It's usually to age 90. So 90. All right. Yeah, Fair if, enough. If, yeah. If you're retiring at 60, I want to see a retirement plan that runs income distributions to age 90 and still has money left at age 90. So a good example would be, you know, if you use a million dollars, that 
and we use what is called time segmented distribution where right. you're taking money and you're you know you're segmenting it according to time distributions and the nice thing about that is you know that you have money set aside for your 85-year-old self in a bucket to be spent from age 85 to 90, and it's invested according to the proper strategy for, you know, if you're 60, that's a 25-year investment. So, you know, if you were 40, planning on investing for retirement, where would your money be invested? Well, if you're 60 and you're planning on 25 years, where would that money be invested? And And what I explain to people is, probably want to take the same type of investment thought as a 40-year-old is investing for age 65 as the 60-year-old investing for age 85. But you segment that money according to the time period of when you're going to need it and when you're going to spend it. And the goal is is that you segment that out. So if you're retiring at 60, it's 30 years. If you're retiring at 65, it's it's five five-year periods. And then at age 90, if you're still living, you have that legacy bucket. Either you die before that time and the legacy bucket passes on to your spouse or your kids. Or at age 90, you have money that is still there for the next 5 to 10 years yet of your retirement. And so it's that you don't spend it all. You know, you don't plan on having nothing left at age 90 but you have your time segmented distribution so you can spend what you want or what your lifestyle will produce based upon what the income and what the assets are that you have and how they're invested. And then at age 90, you have a pot of money that is still there to protect against the uncertainty that you may still be healthy and alive and uh, still, um, still kicking yet. Right, exactly. Well, again, that's got to give folks some confidence and reassurance that, hey, my plan's going to work out. Right. And that's why we work with an advisor, a fiduciary, independent advisor such as you, to uh, to help get us there. And so let me ask you this. So uh, can you retire? I, I mean, I know you can, but can you retire too early and or too late? I mean, and, and is there, and obviously there's a difference, but are there problems? Well, again, I think it comes down to, to uh, um you know, retiring early may be because you underestimate life expectancy. You're retiring too late is because you're afraid that you're not going to have enough money, and so you want to continue to work to build up that okay. nest egg to an amount that, you know, you can't possibly spend during retirement. So the question is, how do you find that, that happy medium? And really it is, you know, looking at, again, I'm going to come back to time-segmented distribution because there's one word that is important, and it's math. So math basically lays out, you know, what can you spend based upon what your um, money is going to produce, and you include Social Security, you include pensions. Um, maybe you could even include, but I don't like to, um, inheritance money that you're expected to receive, because I tell people never rely on inheritance dollars, because uh, you don't know when you're going to get them and if you're going to get them at all. Because you've all heard stories about people that were going to get an inheritance and then, you know, it didn't ever happen for whatever reason. You know, the nursing home took it all, um, you know, it was left to charity. Um, who knows what happens? Yeah. So, right. but again, time segmented distribution will tell you, can I retire when I'm 60? What will my income look like? If I wait for two or three more years, what will that do? For what I want to spend during retirement isn't going to make any difference. 
If a person says, well, I want to spend $100,000 a year in retirement, that's the income I want to have. And if you have the money and the math shows that it doesn't matter if you retire at 55 or 65 or anywhere in between, you'll still be able to spend the same amount of money using the same strategy, then now you have your answer. If it says that, hey, there's there's a likelihood that if you retire early, you know, you might have to, uh, you know, do a little bit of budgeting. You know, you don't want to overspend because you're right on the cusp of where the math says, yeah, this should work, um, but it's not necessarily bulletproof. Sure. You know, well, and again, well, if you're retiring on the uh, on the front side of of your, you know, the latter half of your fifties. You've got to worry about health care in that process. That becomes part of the plan as well if you if you really can retire early. Right. And that's one of the uncertainties. So the uncertainties that we talk about is life expectancy, you know, inflation, health care costs, um, you know, family expenses, you know, children. Um, you know, you just don't know. Um, right. There's a lot of things that aren't, you know, market returns, you know, so there's a lot of things that create that uncertainty. But yeah, healthcare expenses, you know, are probably what I see as one of the things that people um, take money out for. Healthcare expenses and, and cars and home repairs. That's that's the three big withdrawal scenarios that usually come up with people that don't do a very good job of planning for those those larger expenses. You know, dental work, hearing aids, out-of-pocket medical costs, um, other than just your basics. You know, I think that, I think Fidelity and some other companies have done, you know, scenarios where they've, they've mapped out, here's what your expected health care costs are during retirement. So the average couple, I think, is somewhere right around that $300,000 mark in what it's going to cost to cover your basic medical expenses. And that excludes, you know, assisted living, home health care, long-term care. So that's just your basic costs, which a lot of people say, well, that's a lot of money. But one of the other things that people, I think, don't understand completely is that health care in retirement isn't free. They think they get to be 65, they go on Medicare, and it doesn't cost anything. Well, no, I mean, Medicare is not free. You know, your your Medicare part um, a is free, but your Medicare Part B is what you pay for, and that is you know taken usually out of your Social Security, but you know that's north of one hundred and fifty dollars a month a piece. So you're looking at three hundred dollars a month, a little over three hundred dollars a month per per couple, just for Medicare premiums, and then you have your Part D Medicare costs. Um, you have your um, Medicare supplement expenses typically, and that's usually another you know two to three. Four hundred dollars a month, so you're looking at six, seven hundred dollars, you know, a month for a couple just for the health insurance costs. Yeah, and that Uh, has to be. And then there's a lot of things. Yeah, and then there's a lot of things that your traditional health insurance, maybe at your job, would pay for, like dental insurance and you know other things. But a lot of that cost isn't. You know, hearing aids aren't paid for. Uh, Most of your dental work is is not paid for. Uh, so you have to take into account those things, and then the significant cost that can wipe out, you know, a large chunk of your savings is long-term care expenses. So how do you plan for those things? And there's some good tools out there that people can utilize to plan for long-term care. Um, we don't have time to talk about them today, but 
you know, we have done segments on those. Oh, and yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's something that we should bring back into the foray and really talk about what's the best strategy or what are the strategies, not necessarily one being better than another, maybe, uh, on protecting against having a significant chunk of your estate go to uh, the nursing home. Right. Well, and again, those are the kinds of things, you know, we've all heard the horror stories and maybe some of what, you know, in our own families have dealt with that. Yeah, we want to avoid that mess. Yeah. And another example is, 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 is you know, what about taxes? Oh, you know, got to think a large about amount taxes. In taxes. Taxes can have a material impact. Uh, of two, three, four hundred dollars or more per month of you know overpayment by just not simply structuring retirement income correctly by not taking money out of necessarily the right buckets at the right time, you know, because it can cause adverse impacts to you know more money on Social Security, more money on dividends and capital gains. You know, you can pay extra taxes on Medicare. There's all kinds of adverse tax in- impacts that can reduce retirement income um, because it's not what you make, right? Right. It's what you keep. What you keep. And so it's how much money is going in and how much are you able to spend after the tax impact. So that's another planning item. You know, there's many, many more that we've talked about um, over time. So I'm I'm not going to go into all of them, but, you know, again, retirement planning is, is not the simplest uh, it's one that has very complicated rules of withdrawals and required minimum distributions and taxes and when do you file for this and yeah so it's it's like moving to a foreign country I tell people where all the customs are different the language is different the laws are different and you've got to learn everything new that you that you didn't know oh yeah that's I mean and that's a process obviously and and certainly one that as we age and get towards retirement none of us have gone through it before thank goodness you're there you get to retire people every day right you want to have fun in retirement exactly. yeah you don't want to have to worry and plan and learn all this other things um, you don't want to have to you know do all that extra work and so that's what our job is to help guide you to making wise decisions helping to assuage some of the fears of all the crises that we've we are either currently facing or will face you know there's going to be future crises we don't even know even exist yet um, oh boy it's not fun to think about right there always is right <laughs> there always is yeah so yeah, there's I, always something so but you're feeling pretty optimistic i get that sense yeah i mean i i'm i'm a glass is half full kind of a guy yeah. you know anyway and you know so We'll see once what happens here. Uh, it'll be an interesting week in the markets, but you know we're higher today, and uh, we'll see once what happens after interest rates um, either go up, down, stay the same. Who knows? And what the future brings here. But well, turbulence, we'll get... turbulence is probably the nature, you know, as markets go up and down, and we've seen that here for quite a while. Right. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon and of course um, again volatility in the marketplaces uh, does not mean that you should put your money in cash because cash isn't an investment it's not a strategy you need to have a strategy um, and know what the purpose is of your money and what it's going to be used for absolutely so and again let's uh, let's see what happens this week and get together in a week or so and and uh, share what happens yeah we'll see 
and uh, come back and see what's where we're at a week from now. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. EFS Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. If you remember these TV shows, you're getting ready to retire. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. You got spunk. I hate spunk. I'm one guy who ain't prejudiced against anybody who uh, may be less superior than me. It kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Oh, gee. You deserve a secure, independent retirement. A retirement that is prepared to handle pitfalls like inflation, health emergencies, stock market volatility, and taxation. You've worked hard for your money and will work just as hard to protect it and grow it. Retirement planning doesn't have to be difficult. Get the facts-based approach that you deserve, all at no cost, with no obligation. Call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651. 712-224-4651 or log on to EFS4U.com. EFS, the number 4U.com.